Hello, and welcome to Do It For Grantly, a podcast brought to you by Fortress Fund Managers, where we speak with women and men in Barbados about their Grantleys and other money matters. I'm Kim Howard, Marketing Manager at Fortress, and my co-host is Omar Kennedy. Hello, listeners. An entrepreneur, author, and former financial manager. In today's episode, we ask, are credit cards a credit to your financial goals? To answer this question, we speak with Chetwin Greenwich, credit manager with Cave Shepherd Card Services, the people behind the Cave Shepherd Visa card. We'll also hear from Michael Lashley, the founder and CEO of Lashley Financial. Lashley Financial provides financial and insurance advice, as well as integrated financial solutions to both individuals and organizations. We truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So let's get to it. Financial security doesn't grow on trees. It's built brick by brick with smart investments and a strong partner. To retirement, education, and whatever your future may hold, we say bring it on. At Fortress Fund Managers, we're not afraid of the hard work, long hours, or steady saving, just like you aren't. We know better than anyone that you can't just hope for good luck. Call Fortress Fund Managers on 435-7777 to build your personal fortress. Your future, our business. Fortress. Today, we're going to be talking with two special guests about credit cards and whether they're a credit to your financial goals. But before we get into that, we're going to first just remind you about Fortress. Fortress Fund Managers is a mutual fund company based in Barbados. We've been offering mutual funds since 1996 to both individuals and organizational investors. And you can start with as little as $100 or as much as you can. Um, Omar will remind us a little bit about what a mutual fund is and how it works. A mutual fund is an investment product which allows you to pool your money together with other investors. And then the fund manager takes that pool of funds and invests it all over the world for you. It takes really um it follows the principle of diversification um, not putting all of your eggs in one basket so instead of you investing by yourself and investing in one two or three companies your your fund manager can then go and invest in hundreds of companies sometimes thousands of companies all over the world and this way you get to maximize your your returns while minimizing your losses there you go and we always want to maximize returns and minimize losses absolutely (laughs) our special guests are first we have michael lashley who's the chairman and ceo of lashley financial well Welcome, Michael. And Chetwin Greenwich, who is the credit manager with Cave Shepherd Card Services. Chetwin actually told me just earlier he's been with Card Services from its inception, Cave Shepherd Card Services. Uh, Of course, Cave Shepherd is a sister company of ours at Fortress. And he was with Cave Shepherd Card Services before it became the popular Visa card. It was the popular charge card that everybody knew about. The popular charge card, yeah. First of all, who has a credit card? Is everybody in this room Omar? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have four. Michael? Michael has four? I have like three, I think. Um, I, I have two, but if anybody doesn't have any, I have applications. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I have, I have credit cards as well. Um, when, when did you get your first credit card, um, Michael? Um, probably mid-90s when credit cards first came into Barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, with, I think it was Mutual Bank at the time. Okay. Omar? That, that was my first one as well for Mutual Bank. Actually, no, I lie. I was in college. I was in New York, and I... I got a credit card through these guys who stock outside of the college campus. campuses. Offer free pizza and, and t-shirts. Offer, right, right. And they offer t-shirts and yeah. mugs and all these things. And I was like, oh my goodness. So um, after I got declined the first two times because I had no credit, <laughs> um, I then got my first credit card with Chase Manhattan. I think my first one was with First Caribbean. Okay. It would have been Barclays at the time? Barclays at the time, yeah. That was my first one. I was working as a bank teller. And so I was just out of school 
and this thing came around this memo and they were offering these things and I was like I don't know what this is and one of the senior tellers was like girl you better sign up so so she said it and I signed up and there we were I still actually have that card to this day nice before we go on to to talk with our guests I just want to ask the listeners to just let us know about your own experiences with credit cards we're happy if you could share some of those with us you can email us at info at fortressfund.com uh, any funny stories you have or anything that you've been curious about where credit cards are concerned, we're happy to answer those questions for you. Or you can message us on Facebook or Instagram at Fortress Fund Managers. I would like to start the questions with Mike. What advice would you give somebody who um, just received a credit card for the first time? Um, I think like anything else, it's really important for people to be educated about any product that they're using. And really, education around credit cards does require a good understanding of both credit and debt before you actually start getting into the whole um, idea of owning credit cards. Um, I, I think credit cards are a wonderful facilitation, but like anything else, and like any tool that you may have, it depends on the use to which it's put. So, I think the Christians have a thing about you <laughs> need to, to love the sinner but hate the sin. <laughs> what I would suggest that with credit cards, it's very much around making sure that we love our credit cards, but we avoid as much as possible credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, could become part of the discussion that we're going to have later. Absolutely. But I would also say, just as a, a final thing, understand the terms and conditions of the credit card that you have. Because in large part, most people have a credit card and have never actually looked at either the terms and conditions or looked at the back of the statement to see the particular terms that the credit card company has laid out. That's a lot of writing. People don't want to read that. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> it's, it's, usually it's a very, fine, very tiny font. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but it has a really important information that you need to know. Definitely. So it would help. So Ch- Chapman, what about you? What would you say um, to somebody who's now getting their first credit card? Yeah, I think you should. Actually, I concur with quite a few of the sentiments that Mike would have expressed. And one thing you should pay close attention is that disclosure when you receive the credit card as well. Um, that would obviously outline the, the terms and conditions, your, 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 your minimum payment. You know, things like these that are very, very crucial to understanding the actual credit card. Because you don't want to go and just spend wildly and then rack up a debt you can't afford to pay. So my, my, my first suggestion would be to actually, you know, shop sensibly, shop within your means, and actually pay very close attention to the disclosure. Yeah, and, Ch- and Chetwin, um, another question. Um, suppose I'm someone with a lot of credit card debt. How would you advise me? What would you tell me to do in order to get rid of it or to, to at least manage the debt? What, what advice would you give? Well, um, there are quite a few strategies that you could, you could actually employ. Um, one, like I said, is the snowball strategy where you can look to pay off your smaller debts first. And obviously, you know, that gives you the impetus to maybe um, pay off a second small and kind of, you know, boost your, boost your, your, your motivation to pay off your credit card. Um, there's certain, another strategy that you can employ is um, debt consolidation as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that would obviously settle the debt. You have a smaller minimum payment on the other debt that you're, set, you're settling. And there are quite a few strategies that I think that you can, you can, you can work with. Okay, cool. Um, Mike, what about you? What would you tell me um, in order to get down credit card debt? Um, one of the things that we generally say to clients, particularly when we're talking about debt, is that debt is generally about behavior. And often what it requires is a bit more than just deciding to pay it down. Mm-hmm. Um, often the reason people got into debt is um, <laughs> circumstances that require some life changes, mm-hmm. some changes in goals perhaps. And typically what we'd expect somebody to do who has actually gotten themselves into 
let me call it debt trouble, particularly with something like credit cards, mm-hmm. where the interest rate is so high, mm-hmm. that I probably need to get some financial counseling to talk through what the strategies are, to talk to what their options are, to also be able to kind of help them along the process of making the change. Because, I mean, our experience has been that we have actually um, seen people who've gotten a lot, lot of debt, gone through the process of, for example, debt consolidation, remove that debt to then simply go back into debt again. Mm-hmm. Often that suggests to us that it really is wrong the behavior that we need to address rather than just simply um, mm-hmm. just looking mm-hmm. at the financial matter and therefore to spend some time talking to a professional around how you actually get that whole issue addressed. That also requires a fair amount of introspection and understanding of yourself for somebody to identify that they need to seek that kind of financial counselling. I don't think most people, quite honestly, would volunteer or seek that out or probably wouldn't even consider that as something that they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering too, you know, we talk here about credit card debt and if somebody had significant credit card debt, but is that how, how different is that than people who've had loans over the years, people who take stuff on higher purchase, or where you pay like really tiny amounts for months and months and weeks and weeks and years, you know, or even from going back to the itinerant vendors that we call the coolie man, you know, where you owe them for an extended period of time. How is it really that much different? People have always had debt, so what's the big deal? Well, I, I think there are a couple of things that are actually fundamentally different. Um, level of debt has actually changed dramatically in Barbados over the past couple of decades. Um, if, I, if I go back to when I first got my credit card in the mid-90s, there would have been very little credit card debt. I think sometime in 2016, when the central bank actually published their numbers, um, credit card debt was up to maybe $350, $400 million. Correct. Um, our attitude to debt has actually changed quite quite a lot as well. So so before, the majority of people in Barbados would have been very reluctant to A, take on debt, and if they did take it on, would be very aggressive in terms of trying to get rid of the debt. Um, they also would not renege on any debt as well. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing, though, is a very different scenario where people actually are A, taking on a lot more debt, and B, being much more willing to walk away from that debt when they find themselves in debt challenges. So, so what I would say is, is that because the level of debt has changed so much, access to credit has changed so much where essentially financial institutions are chasing you to be able to come and borrow money or come and um, get a credit card. What we've seen, therefore, is a situation where that has really changed the entire landscape. So while before people had debt that was perhaps a lot more manageable, what we're finding a lot more is people are getting so much more debt that they're finding themselves in a lot more trouble. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think what has changed is amount of debt and attitude towards it. And that does require, I think, some different approaches if we want people to actually move to the stage where they actually can acquire wealth. Um, it is also the nature of debt that has changed where before the majority of people couldn't access revolving credit, like credit cards or lines of credit and so on. Typically, when people were getting into debt, it was generally secured, so things like mortgages or vehicle loans and so on. Now, there's a lot more unsecured credit. There's a lot more ease in terms of getting that and a lot more ease in terms of using the tools that allow you to be able to incur a lot more debt. And what's really funny about what you just said, Mike, is that in this year alone, I've had two or three persons come to me to create business plans for them. And those persons, the industry was 
they were bailiff services. Basically, they were debt collectors. <laughs> so you know, when <laughs> you say that, just no, it was was, was hilarious. But, but when you but when you look at it um, in, a, in a broader scale, the credit card. No, there's some places that you 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 can you can't go and not use a credit card mm-hmm. on, on, on on the airline, for example, on the airplane, mm-hmm. for example, when you're purchasing food and you have cash. You cannot mm-hmm. get unless you have a credit card. Mm-hmm. The hotels that won't accept cash. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been privy to many conversations where students who had physical cash were turned away because they don't have the credit card because it allows for that trackability and stuff like that. Absolutely. So there is a place for, for credit cards, even though debt is rising. That's very true. I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I, would, I would suggest, again, that you embrace your credit card. Mm-hmm. You just need to perhaps leave, leave the debt behind. Be, because the issue of having... And, and by, the, by the way, it's not only credit card debt. We're talking hard purchase debt as well. Mm-hmm. So that type of expensive debt that we're talking about does become a fairly big issue. Mm-hmm. When, when, we, when we look at debt, we consider three different types. And it's very much around good debt, which is debt for things that increase in value. So getting a mortgage to get a property generally makes sense. But then also things like borrowing money to invest can make sense if you actually take proper financial advice when it comes to that as well. So often if somebody can take an, a home equity loan, for example, and use that money to create an investment portfolio with proper advice, mm-hmm. that generally makes sense. Then there's bad debt. So it's the typical things like, and the one that I use all the time is travel loans. Yeah. If you want to get a travel loan, it probably means that you can't afford to travel and what you should do is save some money and then travel after you have acquired that amount of money. And then there's the one that we call, it it depends. Because vehicles in Barbados are so expensive, it's often necessary to get a loan to get a vehicle. It's an asset, but it's a depreciation asset. So one needs to consider that when they're actually thinking of getting into debt. Credit cards and credit card debt tends to fall, unfortunately, (laughs) in the bad debt category. Um, But again, the whole necessity for having a credit card does make sense. So I'll just talk about how I use mine. Mm -hmm. I use my credit card to buy almost everything that I need to buy. And and the reason that I do that is because I actually think there's some significant advantages to having a credit card. One is you get a good record of all your spending. So if you're actually thinking of budgeting and tracking spending, that's a very good way. The credit card company is doing it for you. Source of emergency funding. So if I am in a situation where, and and I've been in this situation overseas, my son got sick, he needed to go into the hospital, you need a credit card to be able to do that. Even though I had health insurance, the credit card does make that facilitation a lot easier. Security and convenience. Um, Anybody who heard about the badness video recently and talked about the what time is it time to get robbed, Mm -hmm. I think having a credit card does put you out of um, some of that risk in terms of somebody taking a whole lot of cash from you. Mm-hmm. Spending control typically as well, that it helps in that. But then there's also the whole issue of rewards. The credit cards that I use primarily have cashback rewards and that does create another incentive for actually A, using it and getting an additional benefit from it. So credit cards have tremendous use, used properly. Used badly, you can actually find yourself in quite a bit of trouble. Chatwin, anything to add on that? I totally agree. I think he summarized pretty much everything that I would have said there <laughs> for, for a minute. Yeah, but um, I, totally, I totally agree with his, 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 his comments. Okay, well, a, a different question for you then. Um, something we've touched on in previous podcasts is that, you know, when we are in school, um, even from primary school, we're taught certain things, and a lot of those things, you know, when you go into the real world, they don't really matter. Okay. Um, but things such as money management and learning about credit, do you think this should be taught 
from a primary school level or secondary school level? Do you think that we need that the education about money is is being posited to the children from an early enough age? Yeah, I, I think the earlier the earlier the better. I remember when I was at school, that might have been a couple of years ago. We actually had a, <laughs> we actually used to save and then. Uh, when we get to class four, when we're doing exams, we will take this money down and then do something else. I'm not sure if that still maintains today, but that's what I was taught back back, back in the day. But I think that it, the earlier you, you start to learn about money and how to use it and how to use it wisely, the better. I don't think you can ever be too 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 young to learn. The question is who you learn it from, because if the people who are ahead of you can't really give you any sound counsel, mm-hmm. then there there might be the challenge. But I think maybe what Omar is referencing to is that in school we need to do a little bit more of that, mm-hmm, where there's sort of like a structured across the board. These, these are the basics that you will leave school knowing. Um, one of the things that we do learn about in school, which we probably don't necessarily understand the application of, is interest. Mm-hmm. In school, we learn about simple interest and compound interest. Don't ask me much more about that. <laughs> um, but I want to just talk a little bit about how interest rates work. And as many credit card holders card holders don't necessarily recognize that you know they don't read the disclosure as you spoke about earlier Chetwin or they may not read the terms and conditions that Michael mentioned but what about the interest what how how does that work how do the interest rates work and just give us a breakdown of how that how that functions well I, I can I can tell you about the, the Cape Shepherd card if you have um, a balance let's say of $500 and you clear that balance within 30 days then there's no interest supply to your account right. mm-hmm. however if you cannot settle the full balance as you know Credit cards are used. Some people use credit credit cards for typically big ticketed items. So then they'll pay that off over a period of time. So if they don't sell the balance within 30 days, then interest is applied at 1.83 percent, and that's pretty much very very basic. Right, that's the 1.83 percent per month. Per month yeah. So what is this APR thing, which is the annual percentage rate? And how is that different? Why does that? Well, that that's why over, did, what's that's, the distinction? That's over the, the the year period, which is about 20 22 percent. Okay. Over the year. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But why do we make that distinction then, Michael? Well, I mean, I think there's some things that are quite important in actually understanding interest rates. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily pertain only to credit cards. Mm-hmm. But often what we see is, is we see different interest rates quoted mm-hmm. that can actually be quite misleading. So I'll give an example, and I will not call any company names or anything. But typically, banks, credit card companies, um, finance institutions, typically offer interest on a reducing balance. In other words, as your balance reduces, the interest is calculated on that balance, and therefore the interest that you pay reduces as well. But there is a type of interest called add-on, where essentially what the financial institution does is it calculates an interest rate across the entire period of the loan mm-hmm. and apply that to the entire amount up front. So an example would be the interest the comp- credit card, sorry, the company would generally quote an interest rate of one percent per month. And if you hear 1% per month, that sounds like a good interest rate. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that what they would do if the loan is for 36 months is to multiply 1 by 36 and add that to the entire balance of the loan. So essentially what you would have then is a loan where no matter what, you have paid essentially all of the interest or, or rather you have been charged all the interest up front and therefore reducing balance doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. In a situation like that, the actual interest rate that you're paying is substantially more than 1% per month because 1% per month sounds like 12%. Mm-hmm. In a case like that, you're probably talking about an interest rate that could be as much as 30% if you were looking at it on a reducing balance. And therefore, it's very important to understand what type of interest you're being quoted 
when you're being quoted an interest rate and therefore to actually understand what you end up paying if you are borrowing on an add-on basis versus reducing balance basis so having a good sense of that really does make a significant difference well uh, no you mentioned that um uh, something that a lot of persons have spoken to me about is that when you get a mortgage or those large loans for example you may end up paying a lot of interest in the beginning and very little principal and as you start to get down into the loan you start paying more principal and and, and, and a lot less interest um, so would you advise persons to the best of their ability to pay down more in the beginning um, and try to get the loans down as fast as possible what, what's the best thing in, in these circumstances if you're talking about a mortgage yeah. one, one of the things that we generally say to people is especially given the rate of mortgage interest currently don't be in a hurry to pay down your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what you need to do if you have additional money is not to do that. <laughs> because financial flexibility is actually as important as reducing your debt. Mm-hmm. So if I have mortgage debt, it is, remember the category, good debt. I'm not keen to try and rush to pay down a 3.5%, 4% mortgage. Mm-hmm. What I would prefer to do is I'd like to take that additional money and be able to put it towards something like, for example, a mutual fund. Okay. Where what I'm doing is I'm maintaining some level of financial flexibility while at the same time mm-hmm. being able to create a, an asset as well. And so, so here's the challenge. If I pay all of my money towards the mortgage and then I run into financial trouble, mm-hmm. I don't have any money to be able to continue to pay my mortgage. If, however, what I did is, is I had put aside that money and created a portfolio, for example, mm-hmm. what that allows me to be able to do is to be able to use that money mm-hmm. to be able to take me through a period of time to be able to continue to maintain my obligations, continue to live, and so on. So, like I said, I am not going to rush somebody to try and pay down their mortgage. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that when you say you have a 3% mortgage or 3.5%, the present value of that is still 3.5%. Mm-hmm. Don't be in a rush. So what a smart man should do then, what, we, what a smart man should do is then go take that extra $100 you will spend on your mortgage, go to Fortress because you can start with $100, right, Kim? Yes. And then, you know, per month, you can start. You can continue with $50 per month going forward and invest to build up your portfolio. Yeah, a smart man or a smart woman. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Michael, is, is there a penalty, though, when you pay off your mortgage before the... The, the, the answer is it depends on the financial institution. And typically what they will require is for you to give them six months notice if you're going to pay off the mortgage. Otherwise, there's an interest penalty that, um, th- that you'd have to pay because essentially the institution is saying, you're kind of paying back my money before I want you to. And so there's a penalty. Correct. Um, do all companies, do all institutions do that? or Most do. Most of them actually will have some type of... So, so if I notify you six months ahead that I'm going to pay off the mortgage, then there's not going to be an issue. Right. If I come in this morning and say I want to pay off the balance of my mortgage, then it becomes an issue. Uh, again, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that people in Barbados who have mortgages love to get to the stage where they can say, I have no debt, my mortgage is clear. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we've seen situations where um, people have come close to the end of their mortgage in relation to the value of their property, end up in financial trouble and still end up losing the house. Mm. It makes much more sense, again, to maintain that level of financial flexibility so that in case the worst happens, you do have some money to be able to kind of get you through those periods. Wow. Okay, I felt like that was a whole lesson. Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. That was a word. So in terms of access to credit, could it still be a good thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
so so again, I have four credit cards, <laughs> and, and I don't think that I'm crazy when it comes to the whole use of credit cards. I don't have four because I have nothing better to do. I have four because they kind of make sense in terms of what I want to do. So, so I have credit cards. I have one credit card, for example. The primary purpose of that is to actually for online purchases. I, I don't want. So I have a couple of high limit credit cards. I don't want to use those for online purchases because of the risk associated with that. So I have a much lower limit on the credit card that I use for that purpose. Um, when you say risk associated with that, you mean in terms of like being hacked or something like correct, that? Correct, correct, oh, okay. correct. But normally your, your credit card company would cover that, no? Um, and the answer is it kind of depends. <laughs> um, and, and it depends a lot on, on, well, on how you've been hacked. Um, the hacking may not only occur because somebody external has decided to do it, but it also because you have a young child who decides that what they're going to do is use their credit card to um, access <laughs> whatever they choose to online. Which um, happens more often than you would believe. That, that's right. And, and in the case, trust me, the credit card company is not going to cover that one. Good point. Um, like Amazon right now, I believe, they have like a one-click purchase thing. Uh-huh. So, you know, it, and you can just go and make <laughs> a mistake. Give your child the yeah, phone, exactly. they open the app, it's Definitely. all over. Yeah. And, 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 and they're a lot more technologically savvy certain than I am. So, <laughs> so it is very easy for them to actually get past what you may perceive to be the restrictions that you have. And, and be able to use it for that purpose. So, yes, access to credit is actually quite important. Again, I talked about the whole emergency scenario with respect to credit cards. If, if your child gets sick, trust me, you don't want to be in a situation where you can't actually take out the, the card and do whatever. If you're overseas and you're traveling, you really need a credit card. Mm-hmm. You can hardly exist without that. They actually, um, like Chapman said, there are some no-cash companies where they do not do anything in that, in that respect. It really then still becomes... If I'm going to have a credit card, I want to be able to use it properly. If I use it properly, it really becomes an extremely useful tool. If it does not, if you, if you do not use it properly, it does become what could be a millstone around your neck. Okay. Um, Chapman, do you have anything to add? Well, yeah, I, I um, would certainly say um, I think responsible, using it responsibly is key. Mm-hmm. It's is really key because like you can have you can have one card and just totally mess up. You can have five and, to, and totally totally mess up. But if you if you if you use it responsibly and know exactly what you want, buy what you can afford, know what you can repay back. Because some people, you know, they, they just they go wild with the credit card because obviously it's easy, it's easy to swipe. But then at the end of the month, you know, challenges to pay back now becomes becomes a problem. Earlier you had you had mentioned um, one of these strategies, and I wanted to I wanted to, to go back there. Um, the first thing you should do actually when you actually have in big set of debt you want to minimize it is you should maybe let your creditors know that you're experiencing a challenge mm, I find okay. people wait until you know they're in trouble then to run to the creditors um, you, you get that first warning letter and you totally ignore it you get the second you ignore it then you find the third you have to collect an agency your credit history is impaired but as long as you let them know hey I'm experiencing a challenge and I can speak favorably for Kate Shepard because you know you come in you sit down you talk with us and we you know we very, very empathetic. We find out, you know, what's the problem, and we can actually put you in a category where we lower your interest rate, and we work with you because that's our offer. It's very thoughtful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I like, I like to, to get that out there that, you know, rather than just wait until the last minute, just let your creditors know you're experiencing that challenge before you even seek the counseling. I actually think that's really good advice that somebody had said that to me too, not about credit cards specifically, but they had just said, because at the time I had... Um, transitioned out of a job and I was paying back a student loan and they said well just go to them let them know exactly what the situation is usually creditors are willing to work with you and had had they not told me that I just would have been freaking out quietly 
and wondering what was I going to do when the next payment was due. Um, well, we've learned a lot today. I feel like there's almost things I want to dissect and pull apart in. <laughs> part two, maybe. Yeah, part two, maybe. So it's it's really been quite a lot. Um, the last thing I just want to add in terms of minimum payments on a credit card, you know, the minimum payments are the bare minimum. I'm aware, I know a couple of years back, maybe about a decade ago, the in the U.S. there was a new legislation that required credit card companies to indicate on people's statements what their payment process would look like if they only paid back the minimum and then what it would look like if they paid some amount more than the minimum so that you could clearly see, right, well, if I'm paying back the minimum and I just never spend another cent on this card again, it will take me X years. If I pay a bit more, it will take me Y years. And that really helped to sharpen people's focus and to have a better understanding because a lot of people have adopted cards not only in Barbados but around the world and there's been easier access like Michael has said in recent in the last recent decades of people having greater access to credit and not fully understanding what the terms and conditions are and what the implications are for them and their future so if you're going to pay the bare minimum then understand that you're going to be particularly in a credit card situation you're going to be committed to that for a very long time. And unless you're so disciplined as to pay the bare minimum but put down the card. I have a friend who wants to put hers in an ice block and put it in the fridge. Freezer, sorry, because that was what she was determined to do. She was not, if she was going to use it, she was going to have to defrost it. <laughs> she was serious about this thing. But she could only afford to pay, pay the minimum, and so she was determined to pay it down. But she also knew that if she had it in her wallet, it was all over. So, you know, those are the kind of things you have to consider. Uh, Michael spoke about seeking financial counseling. Mike uh, Chetwin spoke about, you know, just being upfront with your creditors, whether it's a credit card company or another creditor. You know, people have lost jobs in recent years. I had that experience um, a couple of years back when I, before I went off to grad school. So it's, it's been, there are a number of things that we all should consider in debt in general, credit cards in particular, because they're so easily accessible, but also so much more necessary in the world that we live in today, you know. So thank you guys very much for being here with us. And I just want to remind you that with Fortress, you can invest with just $100. So that can be your minimum payment that you can focus on. And next week, we'll be talking with some members of the Fortress team to talk about where Fortress is at this point in the year, what we've been doing for the first, well, almost half year and how things are looking and just giving you a little bit more insight into how we invest the money. We talk about the fact that we invest this money all the time. Omar explains that we invest it all over the world. Well, we'll give you a little bit more insight into exactly what that looks like. So I hope you'll be able to join us and thank you very much for listening. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Do It For Grantly is a production of Fortress Funds Managers. You can listen to and download all our episodes in all the good places podcasts are available, including SoundCloud, Google and Apple Podcasts, TuneIn and more, or on our website, fortressfund.com. That's fortressfund.com. Remember to let us know what you think. So email us at info at fortressfunds.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Fortress Funds Managers. Most people find out about podcasts through recommendations. So spread the word and tell your friends about our show. Until next time, I'm Kim Howard. And I'm Omar Kennedy. Thanks for listening.